Elizabeth shared last week, and, and if you weren't here, you need to check out that message online. The one that I preached two weeks ago, which was don't, don't leave the shield, don't forget your shield. It was about picking up the shield of faith. Because it says in Ephesians chapter 6, above all else, take the shield of faith. That we can't do anything without faith. Faith is the currency of heaven, and it's the way that God operates with his children in this earth. And you must see everything by faith. You must receive everything by faith. You speak by faith, and you live by faith. So without faith, I mean, it is, it is, it's a difficult life. Not only is it a difficult life, it says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it's impossible to please God without faith. And Elizabeth shared last week about being transplanted. Do you remember your, uh, did you do the... And then, you know, the, the, the nice little, uh, you have to make the sounds. The tree's being transplanted from darkness and into light. So now you're part of his household and you're part of his family. And, and the rights that come with that are amazing. We, but we don't really understand the responsibility that comes with that too. We like the rights part, but not real sure about the responsibility. You have to put those weapons in Ephesians chapter 6 to practice in your life. God's not going to do it for you. He's already done what he's done. Now he's put it on the inside of you by the power of his Holy Spirit to act it out, to live it out in this earth. And so you have to be the one who speaks to those things. There are things in your life, maybe in your family's life, that have come down that line, those generational curses and those things, that you need to bind in Jesus' name, that it stops with you that it's not going forward, it's not going to your kids. You know that thing that says, oh, well, you know, they're just like their mother, act like that, or just like their dad, or just like, oh, you're just like your grandfather, just like your dad, it just keeps coming down. Don't say that unless they are spiritual giants, all right? Speak the word over them, and speak the word that says it's done, it's stopped with me. You have the keys of, of the kingdom of heaven in your hands, God has given them to you to bind and to loose, and so make sure you use them. Today, if you want to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, I want to kind of continue this thought but finish this, this idea. It's, a, it's leaving a legacy of faith. And really, I probably should have said it stops with me. That should have been my message. And it's, it, it, or sorry, it starts with me and it stops with me is what Elizabeth said and what she shared. Today, I want to just share a message that's titled, You Are Surrounded. And I think sometimes we look up and we say, yeah, yeah, I am. There's the debt collector over here. There's the doctor over here. There's, I mean, I got all of this stuff coming. My kids are acting up over this side. Yeah, I'm surrounded. The enemy has surrounded my camp. I have huddled down, and I am hiding underneath my shield, and I'm laying on the ground, and I'm trying to withstand all the things that he's going to throw at me, and hopefully somewhere along the way he'll stop, and I'll be able to come out from underneath this, this shield. That's not the way it works. Because he is relentless. He will come after you, the enemy that is. He will come after you, and he will attack you, and he is trying to kill, steal, and to destroy you. Sometimes he wipes you out like that. Other times he just likes to take his time and to toy with you. And he is doing nothing but pestering you and bothering you and stealing from you a piece at a time, and you're allowing it to happen in your life. That's the harsh part. That's the reality part. Because the Word of God says that shield of faith that we carry will quench and stop every fiery dart of the enemy. It doesn't say it'll take his bow away. It doesn't say that it'll take his arrows away. It says that it will stop all of them from hitting you. See, the enemy is out there, and he wants to steal, kill, and to destroy, like I said before. But Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly, so therefore, if we walk by faith, we'll see life. 
And in this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, it's the story of Elisha and his servant. And Elisha had been messing around with this king of Aram. And, and he was a man of God. He was the prophet. And, and, and he had been, uh, every time the king would come after the children of Israel, he would talk about where they were going to go and how they were going to attack the children of Israel. Elisha, he would perceive that by the Spirit of God, and then he would go and he would tell the armies of Israel where the king was planning to attack so they could be ready for him. And this king was ticked and he was mad and he had had enough of Elijah messing with his plans. And so in verse 13, he says of 2 Kings chapter 6, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back and it said, Elisha is in Dothan. So one night it says, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. Say surround, surround the city so that when you look at it, they're everywhere. Horses and chariots all surrounding the city. And then it goes on in verse 15. It says, and when the servant of the man of God got up early in the next morning, he went outside. There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Now, there's a lot of different things in here, but realize how many of you are the servant of God? That's us. This is the servant of the man of God. He wasn't necessarily the man of God in that moment, in that time. It's a different world. It's Old Testament. He was the servant of that man. He relied on that man because that guy was the one who heard from God. Now, in the New Testament, there is God the Father and Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand, ever interceding for you and for me. And the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, is alive and well in your life as you get saved and you open yourself up to him. So now you are serving the Most High God. And if you want to say it like this, maybe I am serving the man God. I'm serving him. I'm his servant. And so we are like this guy in some sense in that we're serving the one who's following God. Actually, us serving God. Anyway, it goes on and it says there were chariots everywhere. And he said, oh, sir, Elisha, what must we or what will we or what can we do now? And Elisha said to the young man, don't be afraid. Now he looks up and he sees chariots and horses and men and all of these people all around. And you look around, don't be afraid. Well, what else am I going to be? Because in a few minutes, I'm going to be dead. In a few minutes, they're going to take me away. In a few minutes, they're going to burn my house. In a few minutes, this isn't looking good. But he told him, don't be afraid. For there are actually, he said, more, there are actually more on our side than on theirs. Well, I can count to two here, Kimosabi, so I don't know what you think, but there's only there's like a, there's a whole bunch of them, and I said one, two, there's two. But there's more on our side than there are with them. He just couldn't see it. Elisha, following after Elijah, they, they were miracle guys. They were, I mean, they, they, were, they were performing miracles everywhere they went. And the people who were around them saw those miracles. And I'm sure this guy was saying, hey, hey, Elijah, uh, by the way, Elijah, there's, there's all these people here, and, and you know, they're, they're going to kill us, so could you please perform some kind of miracle here? And Elisha wasn't looking to do another miracle at the moment. He wanted this young man to see into another dimension and actually see what Elisha knew was true. Because if you're going to have faith, you have to see it first. And if he's going to believe what Elisha said to him, there are more with us than there are with them. If he was going to believe that, he had to see it first. Not with his natural eyes, but see it by faith. 
Bill Winston shared this week when we were down there, and he said, you know, you don't see with your eyes, you see through them. You see with your mind. That there's an image that you see with your eyes, but it's transcoded or tra- transmitted to your mind, and your mind decodes what it is, and that's how you know the picture. My doctor told me years ago when I was going to get prescriptions for my glasses, I said, I don't think I need them anymore. And he laughed, and he said, yes, you do. And I said, no, I don't need my, I don't need, a gla- I, I can see everything fine. And he put the little letters up on the wall, and he said, what's the first letters? And I said, the first letters, he said, none of those are right. You need glasses. But I can see so well. And he said, no, you can't see well. He said, what happens is your mind has seen those things before. And so what you see with your eyes, your mind begins to fill in the fuzz and the gaps and begins to make the true picture. Your mind determines the perspective of what you see. So he speaks to this young man and says, there's more that are with us than are with them. And then he prayed, God, I pray that you open up his eyes so that he can see. Open up his eyes. Now, he's standing right there. His eyes were open. He was looking at all the, how did he think he knew all those people were there? He was surrounded by horses and chariots and men all around the city. He saw them. His eyes were open. But he said, God, I pray that you open up his eyes. And then it says, the Lord opened the young man's eyes, not these peepers that he has right here, the the eyes of his spirit, man, the, the eyes that see by faith. He opened that up, and he saw into another dimension. I wouldn't even say that maybe faith sees what isn't necessarily there. Faith just sees what flesh doesn't. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It sees the invisible. Just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not there. The enemy attacks you, and you know he's all around you. He's invisible. Well, it's the same God that surrounds you that created the enemy, and he is with you. Recognize him. Open your eyes by faith. And it's said that the Lord opened the man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. How many of you know, when you begin to see into that next dimension by faith, then you begin to get a little courage. You get a little, all of a sudden, now your step has changed. You're right, he says to Elijah. There are more. Don't be afraid. There's more with us than there are with them. Well, I can count to two, my man, and it doesn't look like that to me. Okay, God, open up his spiritual eyes so that he can see by faith what is really out there. All right, because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you go back to that 16, 17, and 18 part, it says the things that you see with your, with your natural man, the things that you see with the flesh, those things are temporary, they're subject to change. But the things that you see by faith, those things are eternal. The things that God promises you and tells you. Well, he, I wrote this thing down one time, but I just haven't seen it happen. Do you see it by faith coming to pass? Or do you see your situations and circumstances? See, one is flesh and one is faith. It's not ignoring. It's not ignoring what's going on in your life. It's trusting God more than what you you know is happening or what is going on. Faith transcends the flesh. 
He said, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what the situation is. You don't know the pressures that I face. We all face pressures. This guy was standing in the midst of a whole army that wanted to seize them. He was the servant of the man of God, and they were coming after them. If it wasn't going to be good for the man of God, what do you think it was going to be for the servant? We're all pressed. We're all squeezed. There are things that we all go through. I would even venture to say this. If you're not being pressed, stressed, squeezed by the enemy, you're one of two things. One, walking in tremendous faith and keep going. Or two, you're not really following God. Because if you're following after the plan that God has for your life, if you're living the word in this earth, you will face tribulation. Jesus said that. You will face persecution. It will come against you. So if you're not facing persecution and tribulation, then I would have to guess that maybe you're not going out in faith the way that God wants you to go out. You have a shield of faith, but you can hide in your house under your covers with your shield on top. Well, you know what? It's safe in here. Well, yeah, but you're not doing anything. You're just laying in bed. I mean, you're trying to wait out the enemy until Jesus comes. Get up! Get up! What, why would we lay under the covers? Well, because everything out there is coming against me. It's coming against all of us. It came after Jesus. You think if the enemy didn't, he came after Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness. If he came after Jesus, you don't think he's going to come after you? If he pestered and bothered the disciples and those men of God who walked through Acts after after Pentecost and after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, if he bothered and pestered those guys all the way, they were in and out of jail and they died horrific deaths and all, you don't think he's going to come after you and me? Last week, I, I, I mean, he comes after everybody. Last week, I was, I was uh, on my way to, to Tulsa for this conference, and Elizabeth was going to share on Sunday, and I wanted to leave on Saturday. There was a guy I wanted to hear on Sunday. And, and I, I, I made a flight as late as I could on Saturday because I wanted to be there for Elizabeth. We gave out backpacks in the morning, and I wanted to help her out and, and, and be here for whatever she needed to preach. And, and so I said, well, I'll leave at 6.30, and that'll be my flight but on the inside of me, that was what I picked. On the inside of me, for some reason, for like two days, I kept thinking, well, I kept saying I'm leaving at 2. Well, I did the math. 6.32, that's four and a half hours. Takes an hour and 15, 20 to get there. Why am I going to be there like three days before it goes away? It didn't make sense to me. And so I said it to Elizabeth, yeah, I'm going to leave at 2 today. She said, why 2? I said, I don't, I don't, okay, I won't. So all of this I'm about to tell you all comes out of me not listening to God. So you need, have you been there? I mean, have you not listened and, you know, not paid attention and those kind of things? Last service, I had him say it about three or four times. I've missed it. I've missed it. I've missed it. That helps me out. makes me feel better. So I, I, I said, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to leave. I'll leave it, whatever. So at 3 o'clock, I'm at Payless helping her get some stuff, getting ready to go. I'm just going to go get her some stuff from Payless. And, and I, I checked my phone, and Delta called me. And they told me that my flight was delayed in Indy, leaving for Atlanta. And it was going to be so delayed that I would not make my flight to Tulsa. But there is another flight that we want to book you on. It's 422. I said, it's three o'clock. I called them. It's three o'clock. Well, yeah, yeah, we can put you on the 422. You don't understand. I live an hour, 15, 20, half hour from the airport. I, 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 I can't make that. But instantly I was like, oh, that's why I was supposed to leave at two. 
See, it didn't make, it didn't make sense. What Jesus spoke in the New Testament as he began to teach, it didn't make sense to the people, but it made faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So I ran home and I, I talked to him on the phone and said, listen, I'm going. I'm going today. And now all of a sudden I'm a man of faith. Now that I know I've screwed up at 2 o'clock, <laughs> now I decide I'm going to put the faith to work, right? Because now, now I know I've screwed up. So I say, God, oh my, I, I need you to hold that plane. I thank you that that plane, and I start speaking like that plane in Atlanta, power in my word, that plane in Atlanta is going to be stuck on the ground so that when my plane lands, I can run and I can get on that plane and I can show all these people at Delta that you are God. So I was like, now nah, I'm just what I'm doing. And they all said, look, you're not going to make it. I said, no, give me a glimmer of hope. Well, okay, you're going to make it, but you're really not. I mean, it's, you know, I'll tell you that, but uh, seriously, seven minutes, you're not going to make it. So I said, I'm doing it anyway. So I drove all the way to Indy, man. I was, I was humming down the highway, and I got about 15 minutes out, five minutes out, and I, I thought, this is not a good idea. So I called Delta, and I said, listen, man, you tell me, okay? The girl before you, she told, she told you tell me. Come on, I need somebody else. How many of you are like, I'm going to go to the person after person after person to find the one who will tell me what I want to hear? Not, okay, I'll tell you. Thus saith the Lord of God, you screwed up, dummy. You should have gone at two. <laughs> Therefore, there are consequences to your poor actions, and you're going to have to drive back home. Didn't say that. He's like, well, I don't know, man. He said, they may not even let you on the plane in Tulsa because you're not going to make it. So I said, fine. I mean, the airport exit's right there. Fine, put me on the next one tomorrow. Have you ever been past the airport? There's nothing. That's where purgatory is. It's just past the airport on 465. And I got down there, and there's, there's zip there, man. So I'm driving around like crazy, calling Delta, calling all these people, and I'm trying to figure out all this stuff. And then I remember my rental car. I'm supposed to pick it up at 10 o'clock tonight. So I just call Alamo, or actually I called Hotwire and said, hey, I got to pick up my car tomorrow, 250 Just had a little bit of delay here, not a problem. They said, that's great. It'll be $321. I said, oh, no, see, you got me mixed up with somebody else. I've already paid for that. And he said, yeah, that was for the one that gets picked up on Saturday night at 10 o'clock. But, the, but if you're going to pick it up on Sunday at 250 you have to redo this, and the, the new price is going to be $321 more. And I said, have them push it out into the parking lot, throw the keys into the dash. I don't care what you do. I actually said that. I just push it out. Put it in gear, put it in neutral, push it off. The, I don't care what you do. Push it out of the garage, sign my name to it. Nothing. So I end up down in Indy, you know, hanging around, knowing I'm not going to go till tomorrow. I end up going shopping. I end up at Trader Joe's getting her snacks. We're just having a good old time, you know. And I'm, I drive back home. It's 8 o'clock, 175 miles, and now it's 8 o'clock. I left at 3.15 or something to try to make it. Wasn't going to go down. So the next morning I get up and I told her I'm out of here. Gave her a kiss and said, I'm leaving. I'm not screwing this up again. I, I, I'm going. But I almost didn't make that flight. I mean, I barely got to the gate. Like, I don't even know. Like, all of a sudden, time evaporated. Have you ever been there? I was driving. It was the same road. And somehow, it took me six hours to get to the airport. Because when I got there, I was like in a massive hurry. So I had to run with all my stuff. And, you know, I mean, it was just crazy. I got to my plane with like 15 minutes to go before I got on the plane. So I got on the plane, and I fly, and I get to Atlanta. I had an hour and a half. So I said, I'm, I'm going, you know what? I'm going to figure out this car. I'm going to figure out what's going on. Because the day before, I'd talked to Tanisha at the Alamo desk, and she assured me, Mr. Skelton, you're fine. You have 24 hours to pick up that car. You won't have a problem. And I said, Tanisha, that's not what everybody else is telling me. And she said, I'm telling you, that's what it is. I said, okay, but let me know. When I get to Tulsa, if my car's not there, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them Tanisha said, and I'm going to steal yours. I'm just going to drive away with it, and you're going to have to give me the keys. 
It's fine, Mr. Scone, it's fine. So I get to Atlanta. I go back and forth for an hour and a half. I go back and forth with Alamo and Hotwire on the phone. And I'm trying to be nice. I'm not being, but, the, the, but the, the, you know how that goes, man. It's like all of a sudden there's just this, oh, this, it's this weight, this stress, and this pressure that just comes. And I'm going back and forth, and nobody's telling me. They're all telling me. Just like, ah, see. So the plane gets ready. I got, I got to go, man. I got to go. And the girl in Tulsa said the same thing as Tanisha did the night before. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. When you get here, it'll be all right. You have 24 hours. I'll take care of it. All right. Better be. No, I hang out the phone. And I go and I get on the bus. I got to get to Tulsa. My brother is telling my mom stories about me, I'm sure. She's at the house. I got to get there and protect myself. So I, 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 like, I go down, I get on the plane, and I sit down. And the, at least they, gave me, they put me in first class because of all my horrible troubles and travails. So I, I sit down, and I just kind of close my eyes. And all of a sudden, I go, I start sniffing. Oh, dude. Next to me smells. I mean, he smells. Like he's been stomping in the pond. Like he's got pond. I mean, it's just, what is that? Rot- oh, this dude's rotten. So I, I'm like, I text my brother. This guy next to me is rotten. He smells horrible. And I told Elizabeth, you know what? This, then the pilot comes on and says, ding. Thanks for flying with Delta. We're going to have to sit here for 40 minutes because the coffee maker doesn't work. Next to the smelly guy. I could be, I could be in Tulsa in 40 minutes. If I would have drove yesterday, I'd have been there. So I just like, oh, whatever. So I put my head, I just, I, I lean against the thing, and man, I just kind of like, I just go to sleep. I'm like, it can't get any worse, you know? Have you ever said that? Yeah, 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 it's not true. It can't get any worse, you know? So I just like, and finally I feel the plane do this, and I was like, all right, great, we're on our way. I didn't open my eyes because I didn't want to see the smelly guy. So I just <laughs> pretended the whole time like I am out, you know? I even drooled a little just to let him know I'm, I'm not around. Don't, don't touch me, you know, I'm drooling, I'm weird. You smell. So I get off the plane in Tulsa. I didn't even like, thank you, see you later. I was the first, I was sitting in first. I just went right out the door with my stuff. Left stinky guy behind me. My luggage, all of a sudden there's, you know, you, how you turn. All of a sudden, like the first three bags that fell off the luggage thing, two of them were mine. I said, oh, God is good to Pastor John. I grabbed my stuff and said, it's going to be a good day, man. So I, I start hauling all my gear and I get to the Alamo counter and I set up my stuff and she goes, hi, John. I said, am I wearing a name tag? She goes, you're the only person you could be. I was like, oh, I look that bad, man. I thought I was having a good moment. My bags came off first. She said, I got good news and bad news. And I said, oh, well, that's good because nothing else has been bad. So tell me the good. I got a better rate for you. Oh, that's the bad. Yes, it is. It's all wrapped up into one. I, I couldn't get Hotwire to do anything for you, so I, but I did get my boss to give you a better deal on the car. So you get to pay for it twice. I just whizzed the credit card at her, said, thanks. I don't care. Do it. So I get to my brother's house, 5 o'clock on Sunday. I wanted to go hear this guy at 6 o'clock. And so I, I pull in, and they all did the exact same thing. Like My brother usually opens, Matt always opens the door, takes the suitcase, and gives you that big fake hug, you know, where he puts his arms around you and pats you a few times. Like, you're, you know, oh, wait, good to see you, Johnny. Good to see you. And, and he went, whoa. <laughs> and then I came, <laughs> I came around the corner, and Pastor Pam went, whoa, hey, are you having a bad day? What's, uh, did anything? And I decided to sat down. <laughs> I am surrounded by the enemy. I feel like this servant, you know? I am surrounded. I look up and I see nothing but Alamo, Hotwire, and Delta. And they're all around me, and they all hate me. And they're all trying to do evil to me. So the, I hope nobody works for Alamo, Delta, or Hotwire. But if you do, get, this ain't over yet. I need to talk to you if you do. So she said, do you want to go with me tonight? No. 
Why would I go to church and hear the guy that I just spent two and a half days, $4,000 and five, 500 months trying to get? Why would I do that? Can't you see I'm surrounded by pain and misery and agony? No, I'm not going to go. So she, being Pastor Pam, just said, well, okay, let me take a big picture with my boys. And so she got between me with a big cheery smile and put her arms around me. And Matt's having a great day. He doesn't care. Yeah, he's got a smile on me. I was like, I could put the fake smile on all day long. Yeah, it's a great picture. Then I forget all y'all. Can't get worse. Next morning I went up. I went to church. Whew, everything's great. Listening to the people as I came in, they were talking, and I sat down to hear the next person who was going to speak that morning. It's like, man, there's that smell again. You know, I said it couldn't get worse. It can't be this 88-year-old woman next to me, and it's not my mom. Oh, boy, it's me. My shoes. It's my shoes. You can hide a lot of stuff. You can't hide smell. She keeps telling me, wear them without socks, it's cool. Uh Uh-huh. And you know what happens? Then you smell like a 14-year-old who's been tramping around in the pond all day and let them dry in the sun. So this poor guy next to me for all that time was probably thinking, this guy's an idiot, he's drooling, and he smells. So this poor 88-year-old woman next to me, I mean, she's just just like, I put him up under the under the thing. It doesn't matter. You can still smell it, man. Now, I love these shoes, so I brought them home, and I'm going to try to figure out a way I can, I can wear them. But uh, Can you believe it? It's me. I think it's me. Isn't that what I said? It's Elizabeth's fault. She told me not to wear socks. Now I'm the smelly guy in the missions conference. That's not good. These people know who I am. I should have just told that lady, man, you stink. (laughs) Hey, this lady over here smells, man. Somebody needs to get her some kind of something and just leave. So I go and I was like, all right, amen. As soon as I said amen, man, I'm I'm out the door. In my rental car, which, by the way, is the exact same car, exact same color as her. I pulled up to my brother's house, and not only do she and I look alike, now we're driving the same exact car. Chrysler 200 Maroon, exact same thing. I pulled up and went, for real. Next day, she helped me with the seat because she knew how to work it, so I could get the seat so it would fit me right. So I get in my fine car. I hope it's mine. I mean, the keys worked, so we could have got them mixed up and never would have known. And I started to drive away, and I felt like the car kind of like somebody bumped me from behind. Of course, you know. I mean, if the enemy's all around, he might as well be knocking me around too. I look back, well, that lady's not even started her car yet. And I thought, well, that was weird. So I drive out onto the street and I get headed to my brother's house. It won't shift out of first gear. My fine rental car that I've now paid for two times won't come out of first gear. You know what? I don't care. It ain't mine. I'm going to go as fast as I want to go in first gear. And if the car explodes, it ain't my problem. It ain't my car. So... I'm going about 40, a little over, and this thing is, this thing is screaming to God for help. Little four banger man is zinging. And I I called my brother and said, hey, I'm going to be coming in hot. I don't know what's going to happen. You might want to be out there. Fire extinguisher, because this thing won't shift out of first gear. Well, you got to drive slow. Ain't my car. I'm driving as fast as I can, man. I'm surrounded by the enemy, brother. I got to get out of here. So I get to his house, man, I stopped, and I gave that transmission a fine working. I turned that car on, 
and I ran that thing back and forth about six, seven, eight good times, you know, and watched that thing move. And then I slammed it in park, turned it off, turned it on again, put it in drive, and it drove fine. I was like, whoo, praise God, I'm a mechanic at work. <laughs> Never had another problem, you know, the rest of the time. So I went inside and sat down, you know, after all this, and Matt came in with a caramel macchiato. An iced caramel macchiato is very, I mean, I was like, eh, you know, I, I don't particularly like those, but I will drink anything that's his because it will bother him. So when he put it down, he walked off around the corner. So when he walked off around the corner, I thought, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, baby, ding, God's smiling on me. I grabbed that thing and I sucked it down to almost the bottom. I left him a little sip, you know, and put it down and just kind of <laughs> pretend it wasn't me. Just, I'm all good. I'm going to get, hey, if the whole world is, is, is stinking on me, I'm going to put some on him too, because I'm surrounded by the enemy. And so I like, forget it, man. So I slipped that thing down and put it there. And he came by and he's like, oh, he drank my drink. I was like, <laughs> I did. I did me. Mm-hmm. I feel just about that much better too, because I, I did that, because all the junk I've been going through, I did that to you. Don't you talk to take it out on other people? So he gets mad. He, of course, won't drink out of it because he's not going to come. If you come within four feet of his stuff, he's going to throw it in the trash. So he opens the lid and he tosses it in the sink, throws it in the trash, and we go sit down in the living room. And a few minutes later, we're just kind of sitting there watching TV. His wife comes in and she yells at him, Matt, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? Why did you spit your gum out in the sink? And he goes, I didn't spit my gum out in the Ha, 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 you drank my gum spit. I put it in that cup before I go. So I'm trying to get him, and I done got caught because I'm eating his gum, drinking his gum spit now. That was the end, man. I've got, I, that was it. I was done. Wave the white flag. God, I can't take any more rapture me. Get me out of here. See, in those moments, you are either in the right place because the enemy is coming against you all barrels, or you need to get the first flight out of town because you're in the wrong place. I chose to say, I'm gonna, I am in the right place. I know God said to be here. The enemy's coming against me. There has to be, there has to be something good, something great, something fantastic on the other side of drinking my brother's gum spit. But after all of that, see, there is, there is pressure, man, that comes. But you are designed, see, I, I am totally designed by God to withstand all of that. Even my own smelly feet, I am designed to withstand all of that. That shouldn't bother me. I should be smiling, be praising God, be going along my business. I should sit down that plane and say, I am so sorry, pal. My wife made me not wear socks and my feet smell, but I'm going to get a couple Ziploc bags, I'm going to zip them up, and it, it'll be all right. Everything should be all right. Hey, I know my car won't work, I'll, I'll walk. It's only 1,000 degrees. It wasn't 1,000 degrees because I'd prayed really hard for the weather and it was only 85. It was great. I told you, didn't I, when you left? I said, hey, don't you worry. It's gonna be, you said, oh, it's hot in Dallas, 110 or whatever. I said, don't, no, no, it won't be like that next week. It'll be nice, didn't I? That's what I said. Because I pray in July. I start praying in July. Yeah, it wasn't in Tulsa. It was nice, 84. Nice breeze. It was good. But you got, see, the pressure comes against you like these little, like submarines, okay? When they go down in the water, the little USS Victory here, you know. As it goes down in the water, it, it, it begins to experience more and more pressure. That by the time they get down to the bottom where they're designed to be, there's, there's millions of tons of pressure fighting against this thing from all around. The pressure comes from all the different sides. That's why they're round. Because the round deflects the pressure on all the sides. The circle is very strong. That's why eggs are very, they're brittle, 
And if you throw them against the wall, but they're, they're very strong because they're round. They're oval. There's, there's some things with ellipses and ellipsoids, and I'm a math teacher, so I know all that junk. But they, they, just believe me, they make them really strong. You've been designed to deal with that kind of pressure. You've been designed to deal with that kind of stress, just like a submarine is. As long as it goes where it's supposed to go, the pressure won't bother the submarine. But if it gets too deep into a place where it's not designed to be, it'll get crushed. And if you and I will run just absolutely full blast through the barricades that God has set before you, you're going to be into a place where the pressure and the stress is going to be too great for you and it'll begin to crush you. You are designed to withstand the pressure and the stress. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that we are pressured on all sides, that we are pushed around, smashed around, that the enemy comes against us and he squeezes us, but we won't be destroyed. It's verses, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 and 9 in there talks about his light being on the inside of us and that although we are as bad and as nasty and as weak as old pots of clay, because he's on the inside of us, it gives us that strength to withstand the persecution and the tribulation that we we face. And you're designed for it. You're designed to take it. But you must just like the young man, just like the servant of the man of God, you must, I must, open our eyes of faith. Turn to Hebrews 12, and then we'll finish with this scripture. And I know sometimes we look at stuff and we say, you know, that's great. I mean, it's great for Elisha's servant. You know, he was there. He got his eyes opened. He saw all of that army of God around him. I open up my eyes, and I see my family, and they're a wreck. I open up my eyes and I see the bill collectors. I open up my eyes and I just see doctors telling me things aren't going to go right. I open up my eyes. I see all the things that have, my family's been through and that have got themselves on me. I open up my eyes and I see myself surrounded. That Yeah, I do. But I see myself surrounded by the enemy. Everywhere I look, all I, I mean, that's, that's all I see. One more mistake, one more failure. And you know, when you get into that mode, you begin, you begin to, to not care. Listen, if you're going to follow God and walk by faith, you've got to care. It has to matter. It has to matter more than what you see because you know how that is. You get on the scale four days in a row and you've gained a pound every day, you're going to eat a pie by the end of the week. Who cares? Right? I mean, if you're going under and, and they're saying, man, I don't know, you're going to have to claim bankruptcy, yeah, just go charge whatever you want. Who cares? I'm so far behind, it wouldn't even matter anyway. Who cares? Hey, open up your eyes. See by faith. God cares. Well, I'm not, I mean, that guy is surrounded. He had the army of God all around him, surrounding him. And I'm just surrounded by bills, health issues, problems, bad relationships. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, because in Hebrews chapter 12, there's a little bit of a word here, but he says, listen, you need to run your race with endurance, pal. Let go of the weights, let go of the sin that so easily entraps us, keeping our focus on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who went before you and despised the cross, despised the shame, all the things that came against him. He shucked them off because of the joy that was set before him. That was you and I. He saw differently than everybody else. He lived and he saw by faith. Oh, I'd like to do that. 
I'd like to do that. So I pray today, Lord, open. Open their eyes. Well, what do we see when we see by, when we open our eyes, what do we see? In the beginning of that scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, therefore, since we, point to you, we are surrounded, surrounded, surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, those heroes of faith we talked about two weeks ago. You're surrounded by them. What did that do for the servant when he looked up and he saw the army of God surrounded him? All of a sudden now he gets a little more pep in his step. All of a sudden he says, oh, 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 I get it. We're going to be all right. See, now when you look up with the eyes of faith, you see what the word says. You say, well, man, my life's been a wreck. I've been a mess. Well, you look up and you see Rahab. She was a harlot. Yet it mentions her right there as one of the heroes of faith standing up there looking over you saying, come on, you can make it. Come on, we're with you. We're with you. Come on, you can do it. See, you look out there and you think, oh man, I'm just, my life's a wreck. No, man, look up there in the sky and see all those people who were there. By the eyes of faith, they're all around you. They all went through stuff, but they made it. And they're calling your name. And they're saying, come on, follow me. And they're saying, come on, walk by faith. Talk by faith. Listen to God. Hear what he's saying by faith. Act on it by faith. Faith transcends the flesh. Stop feeling like you're pinned in and hemmed in by the enemy. That's not the truth. That's not the case. You have the shield of faith. You've been transplanted out of darkness and into light. And now I pray today. You pray today as well. God, open my eyes. Not the eyeballs I got going on right here. Open my eyes of faith so that I can see clearly that I'm surrounded By those witnesses of faith, I'm surrounded by your presence, I'm surrounded by your goodness, and I'm surrounded by your grace. The word surrounded means that you're cut off, cut off from communication, and you're cut off from retreat. That's just the way God wants you. He wants you cut off from the communication of the enemy, and he doesn't want you to have a way of retreat because he's going to take you forward. So you have your shield, and you walk forward in the light. We hope this message encouraged you. Victor Christian Center is passionate about sharing the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus. Learn more about us at victorylafayette.org. If you don't know Jesus or maybe you've gotten distracted and stopped following Him, I'd like to pray for you right now. The most important decision you'll ever make involves accepting the love of Jesus and His gift of new life. I'd invite you to make this prayer your own and take this opportunity to begin to follow Jesus. God, I ask you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. I ask you to forgive the sin in my life that has kept me from enjoying a relationship with you. Give me a fresh start by changing my life and helping me to follow you from this point forward. I accept your love through Jesus and I commit to trust your plan for my life. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, please get in touch with us and let us know. To learn more about Victory or to contact us, visit us online at victorylafayette.org.